really debated it because, man, does that sound, you know, grandiose, right? We're gonna uplift, we're a property management company. I mean, come on, how do you uplift humanity? Um, well, for us, it's the humanity that we interact with. And uh, every single day I have collision points with uh, key members in our company and clients that we serve and residents who we serve. And it's like every one of those interactions is an opportunity to uplift. And uh, we can do that in the moment. We can also be really intentional about how we designed our business to do that over the long term. And uh, that's kind of how we think about it. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our, in our communities and across the globe. In today's episode, we have the privilege of introducing you to Tony Julianelle. Tony has more than 24 years of executive leadership experience in the real estate industry. Before joining Atlas, he was responsible for seven states in the Mountain West for the largest mortgage company in the U.S., Throughout his career, Tony has held a variety of professional board positions and has served as faculty for the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, one of our great friends, and right down the, the hall from our office. He leads the overall strategy and direction of Atlas while maintaining a relentless commitment to the firm's values and culture. Well, Tony, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, put some meat on those bones of, uh, of, of your experience and your family and kind of the work that you're doing and, and all. Well, uh, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska. So uh, if you're from Nebraska, you always have to mention that you're from Nebraska. It's a thing. And uh, go Huskers. And uh, I went to college in Chicago at Trinity International University and uh, met my amazing wife uh, her freshman year of college and uh, somehow talked her into marrying me. We'll be celebrating 25 years together next May. Uh, we have uh, three amazing kids. I've got a, a son who's about to turn 17 in a couple days, uh, a daughter who is 14, and uh, another daughter who's 10. And um, uh, they are the uh, the motivation, the why behind just about everything that I that I do professionally and personally. Um, I started my career in Chicago right out of college, working for uh, one of the largest lenders in the United States as a loan officer. And um, uh, my first boss was my first mentor. Uh, he actually married my wife and I, uh, had been a pastor previous to being in the mortgage industry, and um, uh, really helped shape me as a, as a, a leader and as a husband. And um, uh, I still think often about the value of being kind of side by side with Rob back in those days. Uh, well, I think about that a lot as we think about like work from home and some of these new dynamics in our in our marketplace. Um, so it's been uh, the lightest share of my career in uh, mortgage finance, residential mortgage finance, uh, and they moved me around a few times. So I've gotten to experience a few different uh, cities, and they moved us to Denver in 2012, and we said this will be the last place we move. And um, uh, our kids were just starting school. We lived in uh, the, the northwest uh, neighborhoods of Denver. Um, now they call it the Highlands, um, not to be confused with the Highlands Ranch, uh, but the northwest side or the north side is what uh, the old timers call it. Uh, and we love it. We love living in Denver. We love the opportunities it affords us and, uh, and the, the life we've been able to create here with our kids. 
That's great. Would you tell us a little bit also, how did you come to the Lord and and uh, what's that journey been like? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I, I don't have a, a dramatic uh, conversion experience story, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, my grandmother was a an amazing, amazing woman uh, who uh, prayed for me every day and um, just uh, delighted in me. And uh, I still think of her every day. I miss her and uh, her testimony of faith and the things that she overcame in her life were really powerful. So I'm grateful for that. I, I often, when I'm asked this, this question, uh, I often think of a story that Rich Mullins once told. Now I'm dating myself. If you're listening to this, you know who Rich Mullins is. Uh, he wrote some amazing songs and um, uh, he was asked once, when did you uh, become a Christian. And he said, um, I was five and I sang, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And, um, and the interviewer said, well, no, I don't think you know what I mean. Um, you know, when did you realize you were a sinner and you needed a savior? And he said, oh, I was nine. And I, I said the curse word in front of my mother and she made it clear that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And they said, no, I don't think you understand. You know, when did you really devote your life to Jesus? When did you, uh, commit to him? And he said, oh, I did that, uh, every summer at, at summer camp when I was in high school. And the, the, you know, the interviewer is getting frustrated out there. Like, no, you don't really, I don't think you understand what I'm asking. Um, when did you um, really make the commitment? And he says, you know, I'm in my forties and now I do it every single day. And uh, I always think of that answer uh, because I feel like that's been my journey over the years. And one thing that you say, um, I always like to, challenge my friends who say didn't have a dramatic um, conversion experience. And I would challenge you that um, everybody that comes from death and transfers into life, that is a dramatic uh, conversion story, uh, only done by the work of God. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would just say you got the life that a lot of us parents are trying to provide for our children. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And I just love it. Yeah. So, Thank you. Well, thank you for telling a little bit, bit about you and your family and um, and, and coming to know Jesus. It's good to just get to know the heart behind uh, the work. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit about Atlas Real Estate and your work there. Um, the tagline for Atlas Real Estate is uplifting humanity through real estate. And that's, um, that's not something you see on most real estate kind of company and organizations, um, you know, um, th their letterhead. And so tell us... Um, Tell us more about that. Help us understand that, uplifting humanity through real estate. So I mentioned I, I started my career in mortgage finance and uh, worked for a very large uh, national bank. And, um, you know, at some point in that career, in fact, I, I remember I lived in Kansas City. I remember sitting at my desk and uh, all, of the, all of the reasons to do the business um, weren't feeling very good anymore. Right, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I've kind of done that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make good money. I'm going to create security for my family. You know, all these motivations um, started kind of falling apart for me uh, at that time in my life. And then um, I, I thought, you know, I need to find. I, I, this isn't enough. This isn't compelling enough anymore. And I think the more uh, time you spend reading the Gospels. Um, the more compelling Jesus gets. Like for me, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more compelling Jesus gets. And um, 
what was the opposite was happening, right? It's like, man, the more I was in my business and in this career, kind of in the grind, if you will, the less compelling it was getting because it wasn't tied to something bigger. It wasn't tied to um, a broader purpose of the work that I was doing. And I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with uh, an organization called Made to Flourish, uh, but Made to Flourish started out of the church that we attended in Kansas City and Tom Nelson uh, who started that was our pastor at the time. And uh, he did a series at church on um, the Sunday to Monday. And he talked about how you marry Sunday to Monday. Uh, and that set me down this path of discovery of saying, okay, what do I really do? Like I come to work every day and I manage a P&L and I, over, I, I look at interest rate risk and I look at credit risk and all these things. Actually, what we do is we help families have homes and um and it's really easy to step back from that and say okay what happens for a family when they have a home uh, well a lot happens right uh around that family's cohesiveness around the sense of security they feel the sense of safety that they experience if they get to own that home not just rent it now you're talking about the potential for um kids being able to go to college maybe who couldn't go to college um, you're talking about the potential to create um, some form of financial uh, security that might lead to financial freedom, that might lead to more generosity, right? So I would say that was probably, gosh, 15 years ago that I started having those thoughts. Okay, what, how do I really tie this back to meaning? And then uh, when I transitioned away from that career and joined my two business partners at Atlas, Ryan and Jason, uh, the reason that I chose Atlas as the second half of my career uh, was that I found two people who uh, had been very successful in investing in real estate, had solved the survival problem, kind of checked the survival box through investing in real estate, and were really passionate about human flourishing and had said, you know, we're going to build a company, not, not because uh, we want to scale a company, not because we want to have a big exit and a monetization event, but because we want to create a community where people can come and put their effort and their energy and put it towards something meaningful and uh, have a place to thrive. So um, that's kind of been my journey. And when I joined Atlas uh, just over five years ago now, uh, Ryan and Jason and I went away for a weekend and we said, all right, how do we express that? We share this value. How do we express it? And uplifting humanity came out of that discussion in the mountains five years ago. And we really debated it because, man, does that sound, you know, grandiose, right? We're going to uplift. We're a property management company. I mean, come on. How do you uplift humanity? Uh, well, for us, it's the humanity that we interact with. And um, every single day I have collision points with uh, team members in our company and clients that we serve and residents who we serve. And it's like every one of those interactions is an opportunity to uplift someone. And uh, we can do that in the moment, but we can also be really intentional about how we design our business to do that over the long term. And uh, that's kind of how we think about it at Atlas. <laughs> so, Tony, you've told us a little bit about a story of one of the specific ways that uplifting happens. And that involves taking a renter down a path that gets them out of being a renter in one specific project that this can happen in. Can you share that story with our listeners, please? Yeah, I'd love to. So at Atlas, we call it the uplift cycle. And the cycle is a renter 
uh, becomes a homeowner. And then that homeowner has the opportunity to become an investor, right? And then that investor needs the renter and that renter becomes, so you can see how it becomes in, in some way a virtuous cycle that, that feeds itself and does good uh, in our community. So um, we have a partnership with, um, with a private equity firm out of San Francisco. And uh, in that partnership, we uh, own about 1,800 single family homes. And when we set out to do that, uh, we sat down and we said, how do we actually help uh, be uh, a solution more broadly? So we actually believe that rental real estate is a solution. There are people who need uh, uh, access to rental real estate, affordability. The affordability gap in the United States is, is I think, admittedly just out of control. Um, and um, that has everything to do with supply and demand and the fact that we've been underbuilt for over a decade uh, in the United States and the household formation. Some other things are happening too, kind of structurally, that are really interesting. When you look at um, the largest birth year in the United States, I think it was 1991 or 1992. Uh, and that cohort of people are kind of aging out of their apartment phase of life. They want a home, they want a single family home. And um, we want to provide that for them. But we also want to provide a path toward home ownership. And uh, so we set out and we uh, and we designed what we call the uplift program around SFR, single family rental, whereby if a resident lives with us in one of these 1800 homes that we own and manage, um, if they live with us for four years and they, um, they're they a resident in good standing, right? They, they pay their rent, they take care of the property. Uh, at the end of that four years, they'll have access to about $18,000, $19,000 um, of resources that they can use as a down payment on a home of their own. And uh, when they sign that lease with us, uh, we sit down and walk through this program and say, all right, here's how the program works. Here's what it looks like. Here's, the, here's what you need to do to fulfill your end of it. Here's what we're going to do, which includes uh, some financial coaching along the way. Uh, and just kind of staying in touch uh, as they uh, uh, go through that four years of residency with us. Now, we haven't seen that come to fruition. We deployed that capital uh, through 2022. Uh, so we have a couple of people that are about two years in to the program and doing their check-ins and, and receiving that financial coaching. And we're really excited to see that come to fruition. Our goal is that we're able to kind of tell that story more broadly and get more institutional owners of real estate to think about that as a way for them to really be win-win-win. So one of our core values is good for you, good for me, good for everything at Atlas. So we want to try to find the triple win everywhere we can. And the triple win in this is uh, we get a better resident. Uh, if you're an investor in real estate, I'll use terms that, that will resonate with you. We get a better resident, we get lower costs of turn. Uh, meaning they stay, the residency is longer, they take better care of the property. Um, and and that meets our financial model, right? Uh, the resident wins because they're getting this kind of pool of capital they get to use toward uh, a down payment on a home. And I think the community wins uh, as we drive up home ownership everywhere that we get the opportunity to do it. So that's our uplift program. We're super excited about it and um, and we want to see it grow. Tony, why do you think that um, more investors don't want to jump into a program like that? I think the issue might be, Eric, that they don't understand that it's possible. So um, I I don't I don't want to say that they wouldn't want to. I think it's the have they contemplated uh, this kind of triple win scenario? 
And um, and that's part of why we wanted to do it with our own uh, investment was to be able to kind of prove the case, right? So at the end of this deployment period, we'll be able to look back and say, all right, because we made investments in um, in the data side of our business, we'll be able to say, look, here's 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 um, delinquency. The impact on delinquency was this, and the impact on turn cost was this, and the impact. When we're able to show that data, we think we're going to have a compelling story to take to other investors and say, look, here's how you're going to win on your financial pro forma. Here's how the residents going to win, and here's how uh, everything else wins. Uh, by making this commitment. So I, I think that we just need to tell the story. Well, good. Well, hopefully even even here on the podcast right now, it's helping to tell that story and, and helping investors um, think uh, a little bit differently. We talk a lot about the stewardship of all of our capital, not just our charitable capital here and, and how um, uh, it's also interesting that, you know, uh, as believers, and you know, this is a very Christian uh, focused podcast um, that that sometimes Christian investors are not as willing to take a slightly lower return for the sake of impact of human flourishing. Um, uh, there's probably ways, it, as you will proof this out, that that actually this isn't going to impact the investment returns because of the the lower uh, you know the the longer renewal, the lower turn rate, the property kept in better prop you know in in, in better shape. You know, so it actually might not negatively impact the return, anyways. And so, um, how do we, we? We want to. We want to encourage more Christians to deploy their capital in organizations that are thinking this way, thinking about, hey, how can we not just use charitable capital, but all of our capital to make an impact on people and human flourishing throughout the here in the U.S., in Colorado, and around the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really committed to this idea that. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Eric, what you think about this, but I, I, I do think this kind of abundance versus scarcity mindset so comes into play. And um, I've seen it over and over again in my career, in my personal life, that uh, I think I have out outsized returns <laughs> uh, when I come about, when I when I approach things with an abundance mindset. And, and I'm not just talking about necessarily financial returns we're talking about all the returns but also financial returns and um i do think that um as as uh people who want to pursue human flourishing uh we should be very generous with our capital and um and i think we should be really wise in how we use that capital and how that capital can compound its impact so um yeah i i uh i'm a believer in that, and uh, I think we're going to prove it out. I'm just excited for this one case to work its way through, so we actually have this story to keep telling. And we would love to have you back in two more years when we get to absolutely share how this has produced so much more for all of these people. And and I want to continue to see this be repeated. Um, it is something that we at NCF have been talking a lot about is redemptive real estate, ways that we can really help people and connect the real estate to the social capital and the different ways that we can help people flourish. Yeah, let's do it. I'll have bar charts and data points and all that stuff ready. That's great. We'll, we'll take it. We'll, we'll run with it. 
Well, hey, I noticed that Atlas Real Estate recently was honored with the Top Company Award by Colorado Biz. Can you share a bit about what you all have done to earn that award? And uh, I know we've we've had uh, many conversations with Chris, Christopher on your team before, and I know you guys have some um, just great work on culture and the community there. So just share a little bit about what you guys are doing as an employer. Yeah, that was such an honor, and uh, we're grateful for that. Um, we we won that award, um, uh, I believe, in 2018 as well. And um, to be honored again is is really really amazing. Um, and I, I think we're really excited about that. We've won some top place to work awards, which are you know a great reflection on our team and our culture and those investments. To win the top company award is uh, is neat because it it isn't just. I think you can have a great culture and maybe not have that great a business. <laughs> so uh, I I was so pleased to see that because I think it does reflect on the culture that um, Christopher and his team and and our our team broadly has worked to build, but also on the fact that uh, we've had meaningful business results over the last several years. And um, so I think a few things played into it. Uh, obviously. Uh, our growth and expansion, you know, when I joined the company five years ago, um, we were a Colorado-based company that operated only in Colorado. Um, when you fast forward to today, um, we're in eight states, uh, and we have a couple hundred team members and and uh, a near-shore team in Mexico uh, that's been an amazing addition uh, to our company uh, and, and helped us be able to scale in ways that maybe we wouldn't have been able to scale without them. Um, so I think that's that's a big part of that. Uh, I think the innovation that we've pursued in our space uh, around things like driving home ownership uh, as a property management company that can sound a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, so being able to to tell the story around our commitment to uh, our community and driving home ownership there, uh, the work our team does around volunteering. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we did the uh, paint-a-thon that we do with Brothers Redevelopment every year uh, in Colorado Springs and in Denver. Our team turns out, I mean, like, sadly, our team turned out so much that there wasn't enough work for everybody to do. And, um, you know, what a great problem to have in our organization that our team wants to show up and make a difference. So I think all of that plays in. Um, also, just the effort that we make in developing uh, our team internally. So Christopher, you mentioned Christopher Frierson, he's our vice president of talent and culture. Uh, we don't have an HR team. We have a talent and culture team, and that's intentional. Um, we don't talk about being a, uh, a culture fit. We talk about being a culture ad because we want everybody to bring their unique self uh, to Atlas and add to who we are. And I think all of that plays out. And at the end of the day, it plays out in uh, what we hope are uh, superior results for the clients that we serve and the residents we serve every day. Tony, we spend most of our days at work. When we look at our you know, calendars and all of that, and so you are actually, it sounds like a company that you are ministering like a church does to their people in the way that you all come together and build an organization um, based on great values. Yeah, you know, one of our core values, we have five core values. I mentioned uh, uplifting humanity is our first one. Uh, good for you, good for me, good for everything is our, our next core value. The next one is in community. And um, it's this idea that exactly that point, I mean, you nailed it. We, we spend our waking hours with the people we work with. And um, 
we want to have a robust community of people who care deeply about each other, um, who come uh, as integrated humans. And um, and I think that that is a lot of what motivates me. It's a lot of what motivates Ryan and Jason, my two partners, as we think about our business broadly. So um, everything we can do to build that community, it's hard sometimes, right? Uh, we went through this period of work from home. That's been a, a, a big debate in our company. We, we were never, we never had a policy about where you worked um, prior to COVID. We've never had a policy, but everybody came to the office, right? And and then all of a sudden COVID happened and now nobody's coming to the office. And we said, okay, do we, do, do we need a policy about coming to the office? It's like, I don't think so. I, I think what we need to do is lean into the fact that we love the community uh, of people that work here. And we use the word love a lot in our company. Uh, I think, I, you know, when I said earlier, I worked for a very large bank. Uh, when I started using the word love um, at my at my previous employer, that was pretty weird. Um, nobody wanted to talk about the word love. And uh, I would say, we need to love our clients. We need to love our team members. And, and I would get, you know, very odd glances from uh, senior executives in this very large company. And um, I think I define love the way C.S. Lewis defined it, right? He said, love is wanting the greatest possible good for the other. Hmm. And um, and that's how we want to approach everything that we do at Atlas with our team and with the people we serve. That's fabulous. I often rewrite my emails to take the word love out so that it doesn't seem as as personal versus professional because I tend to use that word a lot. That just excites me that that's what you guys what you do at Atlas. It, it's the I think it's the most powerful word in our language, and I think it is. Um, and I think we should use it a lot, and um, and we should mean it, right? We should mean it. Um, but I think the more love there is in our organization and for the people that we interact with every day, uh, man, I'd rather be around that. Well, on the Generosity Now podcast, we talk a lot about generosity and whole life stewardship. Um, and just for your sake, we mean by that um, our stewardship of our life, our labor, our influence, our finances, and our expertise. Um, what would you uh, would you share a little bit about your own journey as it relates to generosity and stewardship? You know, it's not something I learned growing up. So, like, you know, our kids, we like, we, we, uh, we have rules around saving and, um, and tithing and all these things with the money that they make. I, I didn't really grow up with that. And, um, uh, it, it's funny. I'll give a ton of credit to Tom Nelson and Kevin Harlan and the crew at, um, Made to Flourish and the ways that they helped shape my thinking around this as a, as a young adult. Um, and and really seeing all of our resources as um, an opportunity to promote human flourishing. Uh, so I, I remember we supported this missionary in uh, Bolivia when when my wife and I were first married, and um, and we supported them very substantially. Um, and and I had this moment where I was I was fairly convinced that we needed to we needed to do more to support our church. And, uh, and I met with uh, Kevin and he, and he was so gracious with me. Uh, I, I benefited so much, uh, from the graciousness of people that are 10 or 15 years ahead of me in life and have been kind to me and mentored me in such powerful ways. Kevin was one of them. And I thought I was going to sit down and kind of get, you know, beat over the head a little bit about my lack of tithing. And, 
and uh, he was just he was just so gracious with me and and he said, well, if you feel like that's something that you should do, let's talk about what that looks like. And and I called this missionary down in Bolivia. His name's Mike. I said, Mike, man, I've got bad news. Um, you know, I, I have to transition some of this giving and I want to have a plan to do that. And I, you know, and he says, oh man, I love that. I love that you're thinking about your church. Um, he had challenged me on that a few times. And, and I, you know, I'm feeling all the weight of this and my giving and my importance and me and, you know, and, and he's like, yeah, well, let me make a few calls and like, let's work through this over the next several months. And the guy calls me two days later and he goes, Hey, I've replaced all your giving. And I was like, what? And and he's like, oh yeah, no, we're good, buddy. You know, you do your thing and whatever you can give here, we'd love. And man, that was such a great moment for me of, uh, this wasn't about me. And, and the, the giving I was doing was, you know, so out of my ego and my my need to feel important and special and all of these other things uh the fact that uh just in a matter of a couple of days uh god was able to kind of teach me a little lesson uh around uh he he funds the things that need to be funded and uh he does that through us but um and that was uh that was a great reset for me so that, that's one of my favorite experiences of, of seeing the vastness and the goodness of God at work and um, uh, has has done a lot to shape how I think about uh, giving over the years. The other thing I'd say is uh, I think a lot of your listeners are probably business owners and uh, or, biz, or engaged in the marketplace one way or another. And um, I'm increasingly convinced uh, that we're going to solve most of the problems um, in our society through businesses and, uh, businesses that are run purposefully and run well. And, um, I just want to encourage you if you are, uh, working in the marketplace, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, if you're a leader in an organization, if you're a, if you're a brand new person who's an individual contributor, um, good businesses solve real problems and, uh, the work you're doing absolutely matters. Um, and and you should take that seriously. I was at an event with um, Casey Crawford, uh, uh, president of Movement Mortgage, and he said, um, "I believe that um, business owners have an unfair advantage over the church in making disciples." Um, and 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 not just that, right? I, I completely resonate with what you're saying. But his his point is like, man, you know, people might go to ch- might go to church, you know, uh, an hour, hour and a half a week. Uh, and yet our employees, our team members, you know, come to work for us 40 plus hours a week. Um, uh, if they go to church, they're being asked for money. Um, I pay them. Uh, and, and so the opportunity for significant life on life discipleship is just absolutely amazing. And so for in the workplace, it's a great place. Um, to make disciples and uh, to solve uh, needs, but then also through the vehicle of business. Um, some of the hardest places left to be unreached in, in and around the world um, are un- unreached such because you can't just hold up a banner that you're part of this missions organization and you're not going to have a job and you're just here to, to, to make disciples and tell people about Jesus. Um, but those same places are welcoming, welcoming entrepreneurs welcoming business in and it's a it's a great avenue um for sure that's amazing yeah i love that i i agree completely it's an unfair advantage and one we should take advantage of 
Yeah, you, um, uh, along those lines, I mean, you've been a, a speaker at the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, at the Business for the Common Good event, and things like that. And um, I'd love to hear just, uh, I know you've got more thoughts wrapped up as it relates to business and, um, and, and making disciples and solving the world's problems. And so riff on that just a little bit more for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I served as an elder in my church for about eight years and um, rotated off of our elder team uh, at the end of 2019, I want to say. Well done, sir. This was perfect timing, wasn't it? Uh, I had no idea what was coming. Uh, but I, I look at now and like my opportunity to um, invest in uh, the people in our organization. And um, I just, I, I marvel at um, at what an opportunity it presents. And frankly, it's, um, it's one of those things that you just have to prioritize and you have to make the time and the space for it. So, you know, we have a, what we call an executive sponsorship program uh, at Atlas, and it's it's focused on um, developing people in our organization who've raised their hand and said, "I want to grow," um, and um, and it isn't just around like how to read a P and L. So um, we we've leaned into uh, a leadership um, philosophy, if you will, that's based on a book called The Human Operating System. And I would encourage anyone to read that book. It was written by Jack Nicholson uh, and um, and Rob Murray. And Jack and Rob have played a really important role in my life and in the life of Atlas. Uh, and, and the book is all about this kind of integrating of the whole and that we as human beings exist kind of in four parts, um, mind, strength, heart, and soul. And uh, that at work, we're encouraged to live entirely in our our mind and our strength. Uh, and r- rarely are we encouraged to integrate our heart and our soul. So a lot of our leadership development work that we do is around this integration of um, mind, strength, heart, and soul. And what we find is when we do that, we get to be vulnerable with each other. Um, in that vulnerability, we build, we build real trust. And because of that trust, we're actually able to have conflict that leads to better decisions. So I, I know that was a that was kind of a long path to get there, but what we don't do is spend a lot of time on politics. We don't spend a lot of time on positioning and um, vying for influence or control or manipulation or you know the things that happen organizationally. They happen in organizations. They happen in families. They happen in businesses and nonprofits. And I think the more that we can invest in um, becoming really integrated human beings. Um, who can say, hey, here, here's what I'm bad at. Um, here's what scares me. Here's what, um, here's sometimes why I might show up in a way uh, that's more uh, fearful than it should or more scarcity-minded than it should. Here, here's where that comes from in me. The more my team knows that about me, uh, the more free I am to just be who I am. And I don't have to spend all this energy on all that other stuff and that allows us to focus on the things we actually want to accomplish. So that's a resource I would I would uh, promote to anybody. Um, it's been life-changing for me and really formative for our company. I'm really, really excited about that. And I appreciate you sharing that book. Um, this It 
sounds like it's that whole idea of we all know that we're not perfect as believers. We all know that, you know, we as a body is what makes up the whole of us. We all can't have the same strengths. Depending on each other is what's super important. And I certainly know I have fears and I have weaknesses and I just want someone to be able to accept me in that space. And it sounds like you guys are living that out um, without a question in your company. And that just excites me. So, Tony, thanks so much for being on the show today. We will go ahead and link uh, in the show notes to both um, Made to Flourish and also um, that book, The uh, Human Operating uh, Human Operating System. And so, we'll find uh, links in the show notes to that. And so, we thank you for taking the time, being with us today. Um, and on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. You can also find Tony and his team at realatlas.com. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. Please, if you found value in this episode specifically, click and share it with one of your friends. And Lori's going to close us with a benediction today. From 2 Corinthians 9-11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen and amen. Thank you, Tony, for being here. Tony, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.